It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. It's Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a supremely weird trivia cartoon on Netflix. Plus, physicists made bubbles of gas atoms colder than space. And why BuzzFeed News' union contract includes legal protection against ghosts. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Listen, if I see an article titled The Weirdest Thing on Netflix, I am obviously going to click it. Which is how this morning I discovered, thanks to Tori Bosch at Slate, the absolutely bizarre interactive cartoon Cat Burglar. Cat Burglar dropped on Netflix back in February, so perhaps you've discovered it already, but this was the first I had heard of it. And on the surface, it's not so strange. It's an animated short about a cat burglar named Rowdy trying to steal some priceless artwork from the Highfalutin Museum, which is guarded by pint-sized guard dog Peanut. The Tom and Jerry-style antics are ramped up by the viewer, who, in one of the latest incarnations of Netflix's interactive content, determines which way the story will go by answering trivia questions. Now, the antics that Rowdy and Peanut get up to perhaps aren't too strange in the wide world of animation, but those trivia questions are where Cat Burglar gets especially weird. They're less trivia and more just odd. My first question was, which has more heads? I was then given three either-or options, starting with Simon and Garfunkel or Wu-Tang Club. Another question had me fill in the blank on Tom Cruise is, with options being athletic or lethargic, feisty or meek, and short or litigious. Now, some of the questions seem fairly ordinary, but then the answers get a little strange. For example, I was asked to pick rom-com movie staples, and one possible option was Goose in a Hat. The whole experience is just weird enough to make you question what's going on. Which made a bit more sense to me when I found out that one of the creators of Cat Burglar is Black Mirror creator Charlie Brooker. Apart from creating the terrifying, mind-spinning, near-future dystopia that is Black Mirror, and therefore having some kind of bent towards the uncanny, Brooker got his feet wet with interactive content from helming Black Mirror Bandersnatch, Netflix's very first foray into interactive storytelling for adults back in 2018. Netflix had previously done a bit of interactive content for kids and since then has produced a couple dozen interactive shows or episodes for all ages. There was the interactive special of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, the Bear Grylls special You vs. Wild, Captain Underpants' epic Choice-O-Rama, Carmen Sandiego to steal or not to steal, and most recently, Battle Kitty, which on the spectrum of video game to story is probably their closest yet to video game, whereas Cat Burglar is perhaps the closest to just a story. 
That's because Cat Burglar is not quite choose-your-own-adventure. All you're doing by answering the offbeat trivia questions is deciding if Rowdy the Cat Burglar will succeed or fail in his current task. Answer correctly, and he'll pull off his outrageous stunt, usually at the expense of poor Peanut, the guard dog, get a question wrong or don't complete the answers in time, and Rowdy dies. Although in true video game parlance, he's really just losing a life. And while he's a cat, he already lost his first six lives before the game starts, so you only get three chances. And this basically yes-or-no, pass-fail version of interaction was part of Brooker's intention. He told IndieWire, quote, When you're making interactive stories where you're controlling the main character, it becomes quite hard to have a character that's consistent, because if the viewer decides what the character does, it has no agency in a weird way. So the idea with Cat Burglar was to find a way of using that interactivity to influence the outcome of a story that is slightly separated from the characters. End quote. And I'll also say I honestly can't tell if it's aimed at kids or adults. I mean, it must be kids, but some of the questions absolutely would not land with kids. There are pop culture references that kids wouldn't understand, questions about coworkers eating your lunch, and best email practices. I even got one where one of the possible answers was a hookah pipe. And just for the record, the questions change every time. You probably won't even encounter the same question twice if you play it dozens of times. So the questions that I got that I've been spoiling here are not going to be the same ones that you might get. The style of Cat Burglar is intentionally reminiscent of old Tex Avery cartoons, think Looney Tunes, both visually and comedically. In addition to the old-school title cards and illustration design, the team even added a bit of noise and grain to make the cartoon feel like it was made back in the golden age of animation. The story, likewise, is full of slapstick, sight gags, violent but bloodless injuries, and clever irony. And at one point, I even got one of those gross-out close-ups a la Ren and Stimpy. And I say at one point I got because the cartoon changes a little every time you play it as well, and each time you answer correctly or incorrectly. I don't know how many infinite scenes there are, but you could certainly play through a handful of times and get a different experience each time. On repeat plays, the dynamic editing automatically skips unchanging scenes. So if you hit play again at the very end, it skips over the exposition and goes straight to the first scene that ends in a set of questions. The show is listed as being 12 minutes long and realistically ends up being between 8 and 15 minutes depending on how you play, but due to the circuitous nature of the gameplay and potential stops and starts if you lose a life, you kind of lose all sense of time. It almost feels like watching cartoons as a kid again, you know, when you're not fully aware of time passing or even the delineation between different episodes as five of them got packed into a half hour slot. You can't zone out completely or try to multitask while watching, though. You're kept on your toes by needing to answer those questions whenever they happen to appear, and you really don't get long to click on your answers, or else you risk losing a life. As Mashable puts it, quote, The entertainment value is in the details here. Not just the what's going to happen next randomness, but also the particulars that spring to life in the writing. This is still a cartoon with a story and tension built between two central and fairly goofball characters. So every branch you get to see is another moment in their fictional lives together. 
We've seen Coyote try and fail to kill Roadrunner countless times. We don't keep coming back because the wild canine might one day succeed. We do it for the death traps and the unintended mayhem they create. That's the allure of Cat Burglar's branching story. The more you play, the more wild cartoon antics you get to see. End quote. Now, I am a little bothered that we have to play as Rowdy the Cat Burglar instead of getting an option to play as Peanut, because even though Peanut can be a bit conniving as well, Rowdy just seems like an awful, greedy, sadistic individual, and I don't like helping him succeed in his ruthless tasks and hurting Peanut. But that's the only way to keep the story moving along. Intentionally make Rowdy fail one too many times, and it's game over. Even once you get used to the concept and accept the strange questions for what they are, there's still a wandering sense of why this exists. As Slate asked, quote, Did Netflix have a cartoon it decided wasn't working, and a trivia game that wasn't working and decided to mush them together? End quote. Which, no, co-creators Brooker and BoJack Horseman producer Mike Hollingsworth designed it intentionally, down to its Tex Avery style, full orchestral score, and accessible gameplay. But Bosch at Slate slightly shares my curiosity about how much Netflix might be choosing to lean into the weird as they lose long-term subscribers for a myriad of reasons right now. You know, they've clearly committed to interactive content, releasing a new one about every three months, and they're also pivoting to straight-up games with the launch of Netflix Games last November. But I wonder how much they might lean into the bizarre and offbeat humor of something like Cat Burglar. Produced by the guys between two of Netflix's bigger successes, Black Mirror and BoJack Horseman, it's clear this was something Netflix put a lot of faith and intentionality behind, even though at first it comes off as an overlooked find from the dregs of Netflix's far corners. Is interactive storytelling, and in particular weird stories, the way forward for Netflix? A way to distinguish themselves from increasingly homogenous content on other platforms? I do not know. All I really know is that I want justice for peanuts. On board the International Space Station is a souped-up scientific mini-fridge that is home not to bulk supplies of Tang, but extremely advanced experiments that require even more extreme cold. The Cold Atom Lab, or CAL, is run remotely by physicists on Earth who share the lab so up to six experiments are running at any one time. Experiments that cannot be run on Earth where gravity gets in the way. ISS astronauts occasionally repair or upgrade the lab, but it is mostly run by scientists on the ground. Physicist Nathan Lundblad called it, quote, like the Hubble telescope, but for atomic physicists, end quote. Lundblad is the lead author of a new study published earlier this month in the journal Nature that used Cal to create bubbles of gas atoms cooled down to a millionth of a degree above absolute zero, colder than space, and technically the lowest temperature theoretically possible, an experiment only possible in microgravity. Quoting Wired, Ultra-cold atoms of gas, in this case of rubidium, don't act the way they normally would at room temperature, zipping around their container like microscopic billiard balls. As the gas cools, they move slower and slower, but without the sluggish atoms turning into a liquid or solid, like a vapor would. When they're chilled close to absolute zero, they begin clumping together, and the wavelengths associated with the gas particles get longer and begin to overlap. At such extremely frigid temperatures, the atoms start acting 
acting weirdly. They coalesce into a substance with quantum properties, behaving both as particles and as waves. At that point, they're basically a quantum paradox and almost like a new state of matter called a Bose-Einstein condensate, named after the Indian and German physicists from a century ago. Technically, the ultra-cold atoms need to be cooled even further to be considered a Bose-Einstein condensate, but they're showing signs of being on the cusp of that. In any case, while quantum phenomena usually need powerful microscopes to be observed, these bubbles can be inflated to a size much bigger than the width of a human hair. End quote. Quantum bubbles that you can see with the naked eye cooled down to be colder than space. This is next level. But what's the point? There's the big ideas applications, like gleaning insight on how the universe expanded a fraction of a second after the Big Bang, and there's the practical applications, like helping develop more precise gyroscopes and accelerometers. As Lundblad said, quote, Some theoretical work suggests that if we work with one of these bubbles that is in the Bose-Einstein condensate, or BEC state, we might be able to form vortices, basically little whirlpools in the quantum material. That's one example of a physical configuration that could help us understand BEC properties better and gain more insight into the nature of quantum matter. End quote. And from SciTech Daily, quote, The field of quantum science has led to the development of modern technologies such as transistors and lasers, and quantum investigations done in Earth orbit could lead to improvements in spacecraft navigation systems and sensors for studying Earth and other solar system bodies. End quote. So there is a lot of potential here, and it's just really cool to think of what we can learn and discover when we have the ability to, as study author David Aveline put it, quote, Turn gravity off. BuzzFeed News, the serious reporting arm of the otherwise meme and quiz-filled megasite, recently unionized with News Guild of New York, and their union contract includes legal protection from all manner of workplace hazards, including fires, wildfires, floods, storms, public health emergencies, riots, explosions, and ghosts. Yes, ghosts. Now, while I initially thought this was maybe a nod to the old BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural series, it was apparently a little more of a red M&Ms on the rider situation. That is, BuzzFeed News Union Chair Addie Baird says they wanted to test BuzzFeed management and legal to make sure that they were really thinking through the specifics of each of the protections. Which was a fair concern, because apparently when the union first submitted a proposal of the contract mentioning some of those above protections, but not the ghosts, BuzzFeed management and legal allegedly accused them of just trying to get out of work by listing so many different potential incidents. BuzzFeed denies this allegation according to Pointer. But, quoting Pointer, Those negotiations took place in the summer of 2020, at a time when reporters faced violence from police while covering Black Lives Matter protests and COVID-19 made working in person unsafe. The union wanted to ensure that employees had the right to turn down dangerous assignments and work remotely if they did not feel safe in the office. We were kind of annoyed with them making fun of us for these really realistic and important things, and we wanted to hold on this language because we felt it was important, Baird said. So they slipped the word ghosts into the list of hazardous circumstances, and when BuzzFeed's lawyer noticed, everyone just burst into laughter, and both sides agreed to leave it in there, Baird said. Ultimately, management agreed to the entire list after adding in a sentence about how the right not to work in a certain location didn't relieve employees from their obligation to work, end quote. 
Even though they all sort of agreed to keep ghosts in as a joke, Baird says it's still important that the union included all kinds of protections that might sound ridiculous on paper, but could happen. The whole point of protections like these are for worst-case scenarios. And considering BuzzFeed's history of big layoffs, having as much as possible in writing, in a contract, is definitely a good idea that can provide a decent amount of peace of mind for employees. And apart from being a metaphor for putting protection against worst-case scenarios down on paper, Baird told Pointer that it's also a good lesson for others that union contracts really can be whatever workers want them to be. You know, while there are other contracts and boilerplates you can follow to get a start, it's important to consider what the unique needs are of workers at your company or in your sector. Don't be afraid to think outside of the box to make sure needs will truly be met. And as Tom Dunn over at Boing Boing said, and I fully agree, quote, is it trolling? I mean, yeah, sort of. But it was trolling for a purpose, and it worked. My only complaint is that while I obviously wish no harm on the BuzzFeed news staff, they do awesome work, a small part of me now wants them to deal with a legitimate haunting just because it would be wild to see this play out in court, end quote. Well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.